Welcome to Between Data and Risk podcast. Today, we'll talk about logistics management and automation with our guest, Joseph Sherry, Director of Operations at Kalyan, a global force in developing highly engineered logistics automation solutions. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi. I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll be talking about challenges in logistics management. We are excited to have with us our guest, Joseph Sherry, Director of Operations at Caljan, a global force in developing highly engineered logistics automation solutions. Hello, Joe. Hi. Uh, could you start maybe with telling us uh, what 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 is doing the global force in developing highly engineered logistics solutions? That's, I think it it will it will give a good background for the for the rest of discussion. Yeah, so uh, Kalian is uh, we're headquartered out of Denmark. Uh, we have uh, multiple locations now throughout the world um, in Germany, uh, France, uh, the UK and now the US, and some of those are uh, different divisions. So we have a uh, loading and unloading division, uh, which makes builds telescopic conveyors uh, that sit on the end of a loading dock and either load or unload trucks. Uh, we have a document handling and labeling division, uh, which is used in, our, in uh, multiple sortation centers uh, in some, some pretty large uh, companies throughout the, the world. And then we are starting to do more of uh, integrated solutions uh, department so that we can do a full, uh, kind of a full build. If somebody comes in with a uh, basically parcel handling uh, company and they want to build their whole warehouse uh, sortation center and everything, and we would handle that from start to finish, uh, utilizing both our solutions and then some other uh, customer solutions as well so yeah, it's pretty this, impressive this is this is you know i i always kind of uh, in, uh, imagine those 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 warehouses to be kind of controlled chaos just uh, packages <laughs> everywhere and labels just no no one really apart from the computer system knows where everything goes and that that's uh, it, i guess it's very data heavy right yeah uh, there is uh, a lot of integration uh, of data between systems. Uh, that's one of the more difficult uh, parts of integrating any equipment. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of suppliers have their own standalone equipment, which then has to be integrated together with uh, the the customer's data, uh, which is really the hard part. And and the heavy part of that is is managing all that data and making sure it it uh, is hitting the right areas at the right time. So. We, we we had a podcast with uh, Marcus Conline. He was working with uh, precision cutting uh, manufacturer, like equipment for really pre precise cutting. And he was talking about how they, as a 
supplier of actually equipment, they also support the data part of the of their clients, uh, just to just to make sure that what is being cut on on, on very highly precise, precise machines, what's coming in is what needs to be cut, and but it's delivered to the place where it needs. And like they had the, the whole division which was working with data, despite being manufacturers of of actual equipment, they, they work with uh, data data heavily. Uh, can you share with us, like, what are other, um, let's say, challenges if if somebody wants to automate their logistics, or, I don't know, warehouse management? Like, what what are the challenges that that you that, that you guys know of? Yeah, a, a lot of the challenge uh, right now is having the solutions uh, throughout the facility. So uh, some of the challenges we run into is we're able to automate certain parts, uh, but there's currently a, a number of things uh, that are still not uh, readily available to be automated. So one of the main parts that we're actually working on, and we have a, actually a new division, is auto-loading and unloading mm -hmm. of semi-trailers. So... Right now, uh, even you know your Amazons, your WalMarts, someone has to be inside of that trailer putting the packages onto the conveyor. So I can get conveyor out there and automatically take it from when they set it on the conveyor through the rest of the line, but to unload and load those trucks, there has to be somebody there. So one of the solutions uh, that we're currently working on is uh, automatic loading and unloading. Now, right now, it's kind of limited to uh, more of the parcel side of the business, uh, poly bags, mm -hmm. that type of thing, where it can just be stacked in, in no significant order. But uh, that is one of the main areas right now where I can have automation solutions down the line. But if, if the bottleneck is how fast somebody can load something onto the conveyor, uh, the return on investment uh, on those things uh, becomes an issue. Yeah, because if you deliver the packages to him too fast, he will just get, you know, crushed by all those packages <laughs> falling on him. Correct. I've seen, yeah, and yep. I, 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 I've seen a pretty interesting solution. Uh, there were uh, forklifts which were bringing it. It was palleted goods, but they were packing like there's like this huge table, and they just moved with uh, pallets. They they loaded this table, uh, and there was a truck standing let's uh, at the short side of the table, and somehow. This whole table just rode into the truck. So they like instead of loading things into the truck, they just loaded stuff on on the table, and uh, you know they they, they, they took all uh, everything. And yep. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it went into the the truck. I said uh, I was a bit like you know surprised. It's like it's kind of brilliant if you think about it. I still don't know how they moved the whole table into the truck. Yeah, and that is that yeah, is I, one of our our newest solutions is very similar to that from an unloading perspective. Uh, it is actually the floor of the truck that will roll off and then be automatically unloaded and get to a conveyor belt, and then it keeps going. Um, one of the, the the biggest challenge there is working with customers that own their own trucking. Next. Uh, and, and if they don't, uh, because it's a customization of a truck, uh, it gets to be a, a little bit, uh, tougher to sell. 
but uh, in certain situations, that is uh, going to be the next thing that everybody's uh, trying to trying to look at. So, uh, and uh, you know, it's uh, when we work with with automating uh, business processes and 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 manual systems, we always kind of try to work to the adage that you should automate as much as possible, but not not a tiny bit more, because then everything starts breaking down. I guess this is this is the the, the kind of limit, but. It's it's interesting because uh, in uh, data wise, uh, I remember my, my my father used to used to work on uh, um, kind of on tankers on on on, on uh, petrol vessels, but he also worked on container ships. And one of the big problems they had there, uh, which was which was data heavy, is stacking the containers in the right order. So when you go to the port, you go from the top rather than try to unload the one that is at the very bottom. And yep. I guess you have the same problem with trucks. You know, the the moment you you have uh, obviously if it's one client, one truck, then it's not a problem. But if if you have multiple deliveries, you have to make sure that your first delivery is not loaded at the very kind of front of the truck where you have to crawl through the rest of the space. Uh, it, do you do you also provide solutions uh, that that cater to these kind of problems? Uh, currently, we are not. We don't have any internal solutions for that. Uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, kind of how these sortation systems uh, in these these. I don't know if you've ever seen a, uh, a like an Amazon distribution center, or a Walmart distribution center, or any of those just the size of those facilities and, and the way they handle it is just uh, right now is with a lot of uh, accumulating conveyor or bins and, and just huge amounts of space to be able to separate everything. Um, but then super long conveyor lines uh, going through the, the system so that they have time to get the right. And, and a lot of them will deal with multiple different sortation labels. So one of our systems deals with that. It basically takes um, the way kind of Amazon's model works is they'll have distribution centers and those distribution centers will put labels on, which then go to another uh, one of their warehouses, which is more localized. So then those sortation labels get scanned when they enter and then it sends it to other trucks that then either deliver locally or go to some of the the uh, different Pickup different points. centers they have uh, more locally, uh, so, so it's a hi- number a of different sortations, right? Yep, like, yep. Like now, hierarchy of centers and. Uh, but then you know some of the other uh, some of the other customers in that regard will do more of a direct ship. So if they're utilizing you know some of the parcel carriers like UPS or or FedEx. It'll just pull right out of that distribution center and then get a shipping label on it and then get sent to individual trucks that then take them to those to those parcel mm-hmm. carriers. So there's a couple different models there. Um, I think uh, we've had some good practice uh, as a as a global economy on some of that over the last few years because of how <laughs> much e-commerce has, has exploded uh, due to COVID and some of those things. So it's I think they're still trying to. F- figure out the best way to do that. And, and again, it has to go, it has to do with how much of your supply chain uh, do you own? So, you know, with some of them, they have the airplanes, they have the trucks, they have all those, 
those uh, pieces of equipment so they can manage their system a little bit a little bit differently. I think it's an interesting problem because you've got you've got the the, the hardware layer where you provide the, the the hardware solutions, the conveyor belts, the the the, the loading systems. You've got a software problem where every, all, all of this it's 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 not just a hammer drill where you point it in one place and it does a job. You have to make it work in a pretty complex fashion, and then you've got kind of a human element still there. Mm-hmm. Where you know people are still doing those jobs now, uh, apart from loading, unloading, which you explained is uh, is manual because there's a kind of let's call it geometrical problem trying to fit it all in the right place. Are humans also and involved in anything else in the in the process, or is it all the all the rest automated? Yeah, so that uh, changes a bit too, based on based on some of the the uh, corporations that are that are doing it. So, uh, you know, at one of the the sites we go to, they actually have um, the the really the only place that has human interaction besides loading and unloading is the packaging of the product. So they actually have the product meet the box that's custom designed for that product or number of products at a station that uh, the the workers is stationed at and there's a screen and it shows them which which position to pick, which box to put it in. They put it in in that box, fold the top over, and then the rest of it is all done automatically. It gets taped, it gets uh, sent down the line, has the uh, shipping label applied, and then it goes to where it gets loaded onto a truck. So <clears throat> the only other part of that where there's human intervention a lot of times is uh, if there's an error. So whenever mm-hmm. something goes through and, and either misses a scan or a label was misapplied and, and there's an error where it doesn't meet up with the, the other data, uh, there'll be uh, human, intera- human intervention in those, those areas where something either gets repackaged or, or has to get looked at. But I mean, generally speaking, you're looking at these the size of these facilities and the the number of people that are in there at any given time is so few compared to how large of a facility it is uh, because it just runs so well. Um, and it, it's just and it's all about the data accuracy and data integrity. And you can just see, you know, some of the numbers that we have to hit with our machines are it doesn't pass FAT unless it's ninety nine point nine percent accurate uh and that's over uh 2500 packages per hour so uh it's a it's a significant amount of data that has to be read quickly and and accurately and processed through the right way so and that's just one piece of equipment in you know uh uh, miles of 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 conveyor and uh, other pieces of equipment within that within that facility so how many different, let's say, if we would think of, let's say, such an automation system, uh, how many different pieces of equipment would, would let's say, I'm not talking about the gigantic Amazon scale, but let's say average factory packing their stuff and sending it, you know, to clients. Uh, how many different types of, 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 of equipment they should by to automate the process as much as possible like uh, what is the complication of the system yeah 
a lot of what we would see from a a standard kind of facility that's not truly e-commerce driven mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know would be people are generally picking and packing uh their mm-hmm. own parts and putting them in boxes and, and and doing that so that's where one of our you know telescopic conveyors is a help because it it basically allows you to load and unload trucks with at a faster rate with one person than you would uh, with, you know, two, two people, uh, which was obviously really important during COVID because you couldn't have two people within six feet of each other in a truck. So, so that was uh, an important piece, but they also have to put the package on the ground. Then one moves back. And yeah. One so, I, you know, I think it. a lot of our, our smaller customers are, are kind of building kind of smaller conveyor systems through the facility uh, where they can. They'll utilize that automated movement uh, where they mm-hmm. can. Um, you know, we have, we're even in some, some tire factories or, or tire distribution centers. So, uh, you know, loading and unloading of, of tires, but then it goes on to uh, skids and different things. So there's a manual part there, but then it moves over to forklifts and and some of that uh, more equipment. But it's it's a lot less automated uh, than than your WalMarts and your Amazons. Um, uh, so- and I think what it comes down to a lot of times from 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 that standpoint is just cost. Automated equipment at at a large scale, or actually at a small scale is generally very expensive and the return on investment on it takes takes a long time uh, which so is i think that why, like you said it needs to be an e-commerce driven uh, enterprise that actually can justify you know you, you said if i remember correctly twenty five thousand packages an hour it was uh, 2, the number yep uh, sorry, 2500 2500 yeah. so 25 that'll be the next if 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 you have one package an hour, you probably won't don't want to automate it, right? But you have to have the numbers to to justify. But yep. I, I wanted to ask you: you provide the the hardware, you provide some of the software. Do you also provide the design of the implement of of the kind of implementation of the system? If I if I'm Amazon and I'm opening a new warehouse, well, maybe not Amazon because probably they do everything by themselves. That they have the manpower, right? But yeah. if if I'm if if I want to open a warehouse today, do I just buy the the, the hardware from you, or do I buy the, the full integrated solution? Well, and that's that's one of the the business models that we're we're trying to really go after now is more and more companies want to go to one expert in the industry and say, you know, what do we need? And how do we make this run the best way? So we do a mix of uh, design with our with our customers on that, and that many times will include not only our equipment. Uh, we try to supply as much of the equipment as we can, uh, but certain things just aren't our Expertise. really aren't our niche. Uh, so we you know we will outsource outsource the equip some of the equipment and purchase that ourselves and still install it ourselves and run that whole project uh but you know we try to be a full we're trying more and more to be a full solution Mm -hmm. uh where where we can 
uh, because that is one thing our company prides itself on is managing that whole process and being the man, the experts in that entire process from unloading of the parts to loading of it, to getting it to the customer. Uh, so that's, that's what we try to do, uh, as a company. I'm, I'm actually curious about the risks related to, to, to all this automation. How, uh, because as you said, sometimes things go wrong and as long as it's a mislabeled, uh, package i guess you know if the package is let's say labeled in a way that you know it raises a red flag i don't know what to do with it uh it's a pretty easy to 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 i don't know imagine and and uh work with mm, but wherever you have moving parts around people i you know i uh, i already see some pretty bloody scenarios uh, so the question is like, uh, how do you how do you work with with, with this risk? What are, what are the main risks of uh, business, but also you know the the, the human factor risks uh, that you deal with, and how do you deal with them? Yeah, I mean, from a a, a safety perspective, uh, you know, we have our own uh, team of uh, of people that do risk analysis on these mm-hmm. from a safety aspect, especially. Uh, being within the European market, uh, a lot of times some of the safety things are a lot more strict than what they would be uh, in the U.S., uh, which, you know, from my standpoint, is actually a good thing that we err on the side of caution uh, more than anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we'll see that, especially from the larger e-commerce uh, customers. There, that's a, a very important. Uh, aspect and 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 really near the top, uh, so there's a lot of guarding. Uh, you know the machines that that are built by us have a lot of labels, a lot of guarding. Uh, you can't, you know, pinch points are clearly defined if there are any, and uh, you know if there are any, those are are guarded as well. So that's taken very seriously and is analyzed in in each of the projects we do. Now, luckily from from our main the equipment that we've done, you know, it's been 70 years basically been working on uh, telescopic conveyor. So we have a very good understanding of that. And a lot of our equipment uh, comparatively to some of the other automated equipment doesn't have, uh, we don't really deal a lot with like robotic arms or anything like that, uh, which I've dealt with in the past, in, in past experience. And at that point you're talking very large cages, uh, and everything is uh, has light curtains uh, and sensors. So if there's anybody near it that crosses a line, everything shuts down. So uh, that's the main thing that we're doing from a safety standpoint. The other that has to do more on the data side is that integration of systems between our equipment talking with uh, the other suppliers' equipment or our, our customer servers, um, the the things that that will be realized and seen is basically packages shipping to the wrong house uh, or to the wrong business, and, and to try to mitigate that, uh, you know, we have the ability to access test servers and some of those things ahead of time to try to verify that we have the right connection and the right link uh, and we do significant testing uh, before we go live. 
Uh, and then on site as well, uh, we go through it all over again and do significant testing uh, to make sure that the the that everything's talking and and communicating properly. But it has happened. I mean, we have seen seen things shipped to the wrong location, and that is uh, <laughs> that is uh, not good. Uh, the customer is very unhappy a, with that. A, a friend working in 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 logistics, and there were whole trucks going into the wrong. <laughs> That I was talking. Yeah. It's like, you know, guys, actually, we didn't order this truck. So, <laughs> whoops, it's <laughs> actually on the other side of the country. So, mm, well, yeah. uh, I have, I have, Arthur, maybe I should give you a chance because I have uh, a question. Uh, because it, it, it it's it's something that, uh, you know, information security, you mentioned the, 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 the kind of the, the test testing of it. And uh, obviously, it it goes without saying that all of this since it's it's online and it 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 needs to be protected against hacking against intrusion against the all sorts of uh, information uh, you know the whole cybersecurity shebang but uh, at the same time uh, it is kind of it's it's the the done thing that you like you said you have online access to the to the to the live systems to be able to verify what's going on uh, support them so there's a balance because I always, uh, when, when I work with, with online systems, uh, there's always kind of the fear that if a support person has access, that means there's access from a, an external uh, point, which means a, a hacker can have access, right? So yep. how do you balance that, that, that risk? And are there certain systems that are air-gapped, uh, so completely disconnected, uh, uh, or, or uh, you know, how do you how do you work with this? Yeah, so so luckily, from our standpoint, we are only basically reading data, and uh, so we aren't necessarily responsible for uh, that data protection uh, because we're only reading it. Our systems aren't being. Uh, don't have any basically outside access, uh, online access. Um, we even go as far on on our on our telescopic conveyors that uh, with some of the safety PLCs and things that we use that we keep it where you basically still have to put in like an SD card or hook up directly with a a computer on site uh, to be able to access that system. Uh, just more so from the safety aspect where we can't have somebody accessing it even within that organization and maybe having it turn on or extending and not knowing what's around it. Uh, so we, we really protect that and it also protects the programming aspect and uh, make sure that we're the only ones updating those programs to make sure that the safety, um, the the items we've put in for safety are engaged, uh, mm -hmm. and then they're not being bypassed. Uh, so that's how we do it from a safety perspective with our machines. But from the data standpoint, like I said, we're only reading data, uh, so we really don't store any of it on any of our systems. Uh, we don't generally have our own servers uh, that storing that information. We're just reading it from our, our customer servers. I have a, another a bit data-related question because in the, in the past, it was some time ago, but we, we worked 
a bit on on the predictive maintenance and uh, how does it work when it comes to, to to maintaining because moving parts means wear and tear wear and tear means uh, breakdowns uh, so how do you how, how do you cope with uh, uh, yeah, with, with maintenance of your of your system is it also like you know data driven or uh, is it more traditional like okay so every I don't know, 6,000 packages, please replace this wheel. And after another, do, do we talk about IoT here and like, you know, some sensory uh, sensory readings that tell you when something goes wrong or is it still like, you know, time, time, times? Uh, minimum, minimum time between failures, right? Yeah, yeah. The... yeah. <laughs> so, so currently uh, we do more of a, scheduled preventative maintenance programs uh, on our machines uh, from from the telescopic machine standpoint. Uh, One of the things that I have been working with, you know, our team to push is getting more of that. uh, We have the processing power and the the sensors and everything on our machines to be able to react and have a better understanding of what goes wrong. Uh, so now we just need to put that in place so we can get a little bit better view of that from, you know, something like a, a small HMI screen or, or something like that. Even even use of some of our stack lights, where if we could have it, if it, if it had flashed three times in some type of, you know, that is a code for something. So we are working on some of those processes as we speak uh, to get a little bit better at that because... It, it's better for our customer. Uh, it'll be better for our customers. Some of our customers uh, do our, do their own maintenance and, and will get trained on our machines through their own maintenance. So it makes it easier for them. It'll be better for us because we're fielding fewer phone calls. We have fewer downtime. Uh, we know exactly what's needed and when. And, and it's it's all there. The information's all there. Now we just have to get a a, a system to get that information to us and make sense of it in, in a way to, to make it work for us and our customers. So that's something we're going through. We do have more of that capability on our uh, document handling and labeling lines because they are so much more automated from a, a like an HMI and PLC standpoint mm-hmm. uh, that they are always kind of managing the data throughout and if there's any errors it automatically pops up and tells you what the error is so they're a little bit more advanced uh from that standpoint and there's more more automated equipment on there and sensors and things that can also go have have issues so it's it's really important um our telescopic conveyors are are a bit less complex uh, but it would still be of, of great value to be able to access that information, uh, be able to see some of the things like hours, run hours, uh, that type of thing, so that we can get ahead of it and say, because we know generally how many hours a belt should last. Get ahead of it and be able to say, instead of looking at it three months, six months, nine months, that type of thing, we're really watching actual usage and we can get ahead of it and say, hey, it looks like you're coming up on your belt's, uh, you know, life, lifespan, and, and we need to, we should look at replacing it. Uh, and it'll save them 
from emergency downtime and all of those things. So it, it will definitely, there's a place for it. And I think every, every company is moving in that direction uh, or should be. Uh, so it that's something be, yes. we're it's, working on. No, no, it's a pretty, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, it's a, a lot of, I would say, advanced uh, algorithmic uh, methods to, 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 for, for, for uh, anomaly detection. Uh, I remember one, one project where they were installed like a little uh, zip, zip ties uh, on, the, on the cables. So to, just to measure the, the current, which is fed to the machines. And through the fluctuations in the in the in the in the actual current, let's say uptake, uh, you could tell a lot about the health of the of the machine, which was yep. on its on its own so complicated. But trying to 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 get uh, all the readings from all the different moving parts, it would be next to impossible. But you know, it was just a simple like you know, oh, there is something. Could could someone come and look at me, please? Uh, yep. And it was like you know simple yet effective. So so, so yeah, I, I'm I, I'm really really fond of of this predictive maintenance stuff because it's a nice combination of actual engineering, someone who understands the machine, and data science. Where me as a data scientist, I'm 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 always keen to learn about new types of machines, and 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 uh, I find this project fascinating myself. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more cost effective. Uh, you know. Obviously, there's been shortages of electrical components, and, and we had a, a little blip on the radar here. But, but overall, I mean, the price of those types of sensors and, and things that, that can read are, are relatively inexpensive, especially when you compare it to one single service call, uh, <laughs> you know, take an, air, an airplane across the country to, to find something out that could have been changed in 15 minutes. So, yeah, and, really uh, you know, that. Lack lack of electrical components is 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 biting everyone. I I can't get a, a new Raspberry Pi for the last six months. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's uh, I, I wanted to kind of ask you, looking a bit more higher level, because we've discussed about the management of the of of the machines. We discussed about the putting it all together and delivering a solution to to a client. But now I want to ask you about, uh, you know, what what uh, kind of uh, interaction you get, or what models do your clients adopt? Uh, because the the whole point of having an automated system is that it it, it in the long term it's supposed to reduce you, uh, the cost, increase the speed, increase the reliability. But there's kind of an, an, an old joke, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I studied at a technical university and we had this, this old joke that this machine will replace the, 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 the 10 workers, yeah. but it needs to be serviced by 11 specialists, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, how uh, do, do, do your customers, when they, when they build it, do they hire specialists? Uh, do, do they train those specialists? And how do they, how do they go about organizing their uh, their company, their organization, their enterprise, so they actually make full use of this. Yeah. So from a, some of the larger, the larger corporations, if you're talking about like an Amazon or a Walmart, they, they, they both hire separate teams uh, for maintenance, for safety, uh, for those types of things. Now, the the difference in a lot of those is if they are internal hires or if they they outsource it uh but they will most of them will have uh even even from an integrator 
that they use will have 24-7 site support uh, over the, the entire line for, for a long time. Uh, and they, they are working uh, always to train their own staff uh, or, or whoever they're outsourced to, to, to be able to um, take care of any of the small issues or address any of the smaller issues uh, that may come up. Uh, but they also, you know, from a service support standpoint, uh, downtime in one of those facilities is a, is a significant cost. Uh, any downtime is a significant cost. So with them knowing that it's, it's, they try to do as much on site as possible. Um, and if they can't, uh, the turnaround time is, is expected to be quick <laughs> to say, <laughs> to say the least. And, and we, you know, we try to support that, you know, in the U S by having regional, service uh personnel that 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 we uh that work for our company and and are able to service those machines and, and equipment but we do the same thing in europe uh we have a you know regional regional uh service service teams with with service vans and some of that stuff but more and more uh from a cost perspective we're seeing companies try to to bring that in-house now on some of the more complex machines and, and, and equipment, it's there's a there's a cost comparison there on having somebody whose main expertise is that equipment and, and somebody who's not. So I think that's where kind of what we were talking about with with IoT uh, would help because it, it should be able to allow us to tell our customers, you know, what what can they fix? We're aware of an issue. We believe that they can fix that internally with their teams. And we have a good understanding of how their teams have been trained because we're doing the training. Uh, or if it's something that should require, you know, one of our service techs uh, to, to come look at it. So, but most of those larger organizations are set up with either a, a contracted uh, safety and, and maintenance team or an internal one now from some of the the smaller organizations there will be because of cost they will try to to do it internally a lot of times um but it becomes a little more difficult because they don't have a, a large team uh to take care of it so it's you know even even within some of our organization here we we have people that have multiple roles and and are trying to do multiple things so you know, as we grow, we have to continue to try to redefine and, and get specialists in, in certain areas uh, because otherwise uh, we just can't keep up uh, with, with maintenance and some of those things. So we have to, we have to hire it out. So there's always that cost comparison and, and, and there's, there's always a little bit of risk there because everybody always, you know, when you're, when you're smaller and you're really looking at cost, you you're weighing uh, if you think something catastrophic from a from a failure is going to happen, where it's going to shut you down for a long time, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully you're not wrong, uh, but uh, you know, but it happens. So yeah, this is part of our work. Sometimes is to to evaluate the risk, like what are the chances that that things will go really really south, and how much it will cost, and how how much money you need to have, let's say, on your bank account to make sure that if 
the wrong the the, the, the things happen. Uh, but I I have another question going a bit back to to the data part because when you mentioned this IoT and when we spoke about this predictive maintenance, uh, we worked uh, a little with digital twinning on on the on the on the logistics side and supply chain side. Uh, like, did you have situation where someone wanted to connect your systems to to digital twins so so where is a full visibility of what's happening on on the on the on the side so actually with package x you can you have a little screen and oh package x is just going you know left turn no way to turn left on the conveyor belt or something like that okay of course i'm i'm exaggerating but just yeah anyway. So we have some of that at a at a smaller scale. I would say a lot of it is um, where they're trying to connect it into some of their uh, some of their data servers and things to obviously measure accuracy and and run rate and all of those things. Um, we generally in, in our systems. There's not too much of a uh, a lot of what if analysis type things going on where they're trying to where we've we haven't run into that yet uh, from different models. Uh, it's something that I've you know we've considered doing here, especially with some of the the issues we've run into with our own supply chains and, mm -hmm. and trying to to understand you know if if there's you know some type of risk or we get a, a a big increase in sales how do we how do we manage that especially with some of the the issues we've had in the supply chain and what a lot of it seemingly comes down to is our lowest tier supplier how accurate is the data that we can get get from them and and even some of our our large suppliers. So even like uh you know if we we take a look at our electronics suppliers like our Siemens and our Allen Bradleys, we don't always have a good understanding of how they'll respond with their customer base and how they'll <laughs> prioritize uh, in that. So it's it's something that we definitely want to do more of and 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 really should should work on more we we really need to get more data uh from our suppliers on that uh and i think we realized that more over you know the last the last few years but uh i think what we've focused on more and and kind of has been the kind of the the method in the past is we it's always been considered like if you have a good relationship with your supplier that that's what drives if you'll get mm -hmm. you know certain parts but that's really not not the driving factor uh it's <laughs> you know it's it's volume it's it's you know lifetime volume and along with you know what's what's expected and forecasted Generally speaking, that's who's going to get uh, whoever has the highest amount of that is is who's going to get the the part. So, uh, I think some of those some of the bigger electronics organizations managed through that about as well as they could. 
you know, some of our, some of those places made everyone basically cancel any orders that were for inventory. So, mm-hmm. so then they had a clear picture of everyone's true demand and, and what that looked like. So then they could kind of mitigate some of each, each company's risk, uh, which was, which was tough to do because I, I'm sure they were just getting phone calls and emails from, from every, every organization, uh, you know, globally. So it's, it's obviously a little bit easier to deal with, uh, at the local level with smaller suppliers, but the, the large suppliers that were dealing with those, you know, chip shortages and things like that, um, had to be, had to be very difficult, but, um, so yeah, we need to really get more data, accurate data from our supply chain to do more of the, the twin modeling. Um, mm-hmm. but it's the value of it is definitely, is definitely high. Uh, if we can, and, can, can do it effectively. And it's interesting because, uh, I'm, I'm guessing from, from what you, you, you said, uh, I get the impression that quite a lot of, uh, those ideas, uh, that could be applied to your, your, your clients could be equally or it could be at first applied to your own uh, system so when you're when you're developing that you're almost developing it with with dual purpose right solve your own problems you know what your problems you have solve them and then sell that solution to client and the roi just goes through the roof yep uh, so it's so, uh, so, we've so, seen so, some so, sell yes? it or like like marcus said like even make it available so they can you know, if 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 you sell automation uh, systems for, for for logistics, maybe it's reasonable to, to to just make it available, so they have an additional incentive to get these pretty expensive solutions. So I don't know. But it's not it's not that I'm going to tell tell you how to run your business. Not no, for sure. Business. I mean, Sorry. if 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 we can utilize our, you know, to to utilize the automation within our own business is going to make us better all the way, all the way through. Um, and that's, that's, I've, I've worked at many, you know, medium sized businesses and, and a lot of medium sized businesses are really good at staying up to date and on the cutting edge of, of their product lines, but mm-hmm. not so great at it on the internal workings of, of their organizations and how they're run. And, and that's one thing we're, you know, we're really trying to work on here is doing it, you know, both ways, because especially from logistics automation, I mean, it covers, you know, a, a huge part of our business because we're bringing in parts where, uh, for assembly, you know, and then shipping, shipping parts out, doing all those things that, a lot of our customers are doing just at a smaller scale. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we can make it work uh, for us at a small scale and then make it scalable, uh, it, it, you know, it, it kind of sells itself. Uh, and and mm-hmm. we have some, some good, some good data to, to fall back on with our, our own experience at that point as well. So. Yeah, sounds and, really and, interesting. And also, it it uh, it allows uh, I'm, I'm I guess to to kind of funnel it down because development of such a system. Uh, we've recently had a, a kind of similar experience where uh, 
you know, development of the system is expensive. All the research, research and uh, that needs to go into it, the thinking that, that the actual implementation of it, it's quite costly. If you can develop something that, uh, you know, because, because you're trying to customize it for, 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 one, for one client and solve all their problems. If you can say, sell, uh, solve 75% problems, but sell it to a thousand clients, it just it's it's just just pure business sense and and you know it's 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 this kind of scaling uh, of 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 processes that that uh, it it really brings i think also innovation into it because yep. like like you said you're 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 trying to do to uh, sell complete solutions which you know requires putting it together putting it uh, making it modular enough so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time, right? Right. So yep. plug and, and play and solutions are modules. Yeah, and I mean flexibility yeah. overall is going to always especially in, in this market, uh with 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 any products right now, uh flexibility in, in being able to process whatever it is 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 huge. I mean I came from the food and beverage industry, food and beverage conveyor industry. And the, the majority, or I shouldn't even say the majority, but many of the, uh, you know, beverage companies aren't buying their own fillers or packaging or any of that because they change product lines so often. So what they do is they outsource it to co-packers and those co-packers are looking to buy equipment that can be basically infinitely adjustable. So it can run every type of bottle because whenever you go to the supermarket, you see a new can or a new bottle of something. And, mm -hmm. you know, so to have equipment that can process all these different sizes of, of, of bottle or package is extremely important because the markets change so fast right now. People's appetite for things change super fast right now. So if anybody's going to put, uh, you know, the money forward for this capital equipment, they're going to want to make sure that it's capable of, of handling what, what, what comes along. So, you know, we see that in just the, the parcel uh, area as well. I mean, things used to be more boxes and envelopes, and now you'll see these poly bags that are, you know, basically just take the shape of what's ever in it, which makes running it through an automated system a little bit more difficult because everything's set on sensors and timing and all of those things. But from a shipping standpoint, it's cheaper. It's, you know, it's all the way through the process. It's less expensive. Uh, so it's, it's kind of the way things are going. Uh, and, and I think now too, we're getting hopefully more away from, uh, you know, sometimes you order a package and you'll have a, a little like matchbox car in it and it'll be a box the that, that looks yeah. like you could hold a refrigerator uh, so yeah so some of those things are are getting better but yeah it's it's all about being able to scale and adapt at this point because things change so fast um uh, it's so if we can make equipment that can handle that it's it's going to be better it's not only equipment; it's also also the processes. The the, the thing that we see it's uh, 
people are, ch- are changing. Like, like, like you said, people are sometimes are a bit outdated, let's say, inside, despite providing absolutely cutting edge uh, outside. But with the changes in the in the, uh, in the even in the marketplace, like you know, with uh, remote work. People started to ask us also, you know, can we make processes a bit more like modular? Can we? How can we distribute work differently? How can we experiment with our processes so we can try, you know, different working models without, you know, really committing all the way through? So how? So yeah, but I absolutely agree. It's like modularity and scalability, and this ability to innovate, experiment a little, and see how it works is is critical for. Especially for, for for smaller companies where they don't have a lot of money to burn, and these experiments must be fast, fail fast. You know, it must yep. be it must, it must be really cheap. No, it's it's uh, it's it's very interesting, and I think uh, it's uh, um, it it kind of plays very nicely into the the the, the whole idea of trying to explain to business owners uh, who use all this infrastructure that that we were talking about what actually is behind this. Uh, so thank you very much for, for this uh, th- this explanation. Uh, it was uh, indeed very very eye-opening and, and, and quite curious because this is this is not something that uh, normally people think about. People think about the, 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 the point where they send a package and the point where they receive a package and what goes in between. Most people don't really want to know as <laughs> right. long as that package is on time and in the right place. Uh, so again, uh, if if people wanted to learn more about about this or or your company, the services you offer, what's the best place to go uh, to go to, um, to 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 learn more? Yeah, so uh, you can go to Kalyan uh, That's C A L J A N dot uh, com, and uh, we have just you know recently kind of updated our website as we've added a few more uh, solutions uh, as well, and. Uh, so that is the first place to start. Uh, but if you, you know, look up uh, telescopic conveyor, uh, so our name in Europe, uh, if you think of it like Kleenex, uh, Kleenex is a brand, but that's what everybody uses to, to call tissue. Kalyan mm-hmm. uh, is what they call the telescopic conveyors in, in the European market. Uh, so if you look up Kalyan on Google, uh, you will see a lot of videos and a lot of uh, different uh, different information about some of the product product lines we offer. Um, so we are we are working on doing that in the U.S. Uh, to get our name uh, to be that uh, synonymous with a, a telescopic conveyor. So uh, which com- which I- company said that they are the the, the most rec- recognizable Hoover brand? It wasn't Dyson. It was some other vacuum cleaner producer. And they, and they actually had an advert saying, we, we are the most recognized Hoover on American market. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, was, which, was, which was met with a pretty funny reaction from Hoover, who just... <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. We'll, we Seriously? would take that. We would take that as well. The most recognizable Kalyan on the market. So. <laughs> Okay, with 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 this uh, kind of, I think I think it's a very good uh, place to wrap up. Thank you very much, uh, Joe. This was this was indeed very interesting. And uh, as always, let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. Also, don't miss the next one, where we'll discuss continuous education and the lessons that businesses can take away from educational environment. 
with our guest, Paula de Santiago, President and CEO of Borderland Partners and former educator. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bdr.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Shared Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guja, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Shiva. Thank you and goodbye.